privilege to talk this morning about being confident and as bold as a lion. Two exciting aspects of the Christian life. And I wanted to start by saying that we are called to be confident and bold in our faith, convictions, identity, integrity, in what we say, in what we do, how we do it, in what we stand for, in giving, in leading, in love, and in so many other areas. This is not a small issue, it affects every issue. right? Talking about convictions, my brother Dave is an example to me of strong convictions. He'll go to see a movie with a ton of friends, and the movie will go sour, and Dave will stand up and walk out of the theater. And he doesn't worry what his Christian friends are going to say about him, because he left. But his convictions are very strong about what he's going to allow in his mind, and how he's going to grow with God. Uh, And again, guys, as we talk about things like convictions, and taking a stand confidently and boldly, I want to encourage you that if you don't take a stand now, uh, there's going to be a lot of trouble later. And not just for you, but for the body of Christ as a whole and for our nation as a whole, for your family. You guys, now is the time where everything is on the line and God is calling men, Christian men, to take a bold stand confidently in Him. So the point of confidence and boldness is not just to be obtrusively strong. It's not just to show our strength, kind of like Johnny did on the arm wrestling table, okay? Uh, That is not just the point of, of confidence and boldness, but the real point, guys, is being the example that He's called us to be, saying what He's called us to say, doing what He's called us to do, and standing for what He's called us to stand for. If we can get those things covered, I think we're going to go a long way. So I want to confidently and boldly be and say and do what God wants. Don't you? Yeah? Yeah. Don't you? Okay, so Jackson, you're first. Don't you want to be confident and bold like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who took a stand and told Nebuchadnezzar if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Don't you want to be... Yes and amen. Bob, where's Bob? He's around here somewhere. Bob, there he is. Bob, don't you want to be confident and bold like Daniel, who risked death in the lion's den to do the right thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Malcolm. Malcolm is one of the most confident and bold men I know. So I know he's going to love this. Don't you want to be confident and bold like Esther? See, it takes a real man to say yes to this. Who obeyed God's plan and rescued her people, fearlessly saying, if I perish, I perish. Don't you want to be bold like that and confident like that? I sure do. Kevin. Kevin's right here. Don't you want to be confident and bold like David, saying to every giant that stands in your path what David said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Amen. Amen. Okay, Rod, don't you want to be confident and bold like Jonathan, who looked at an obstacle and saw an opportunity, saying nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few? Isn't that awesome? Dakota, don't you want to be confident and bold like Paul, who faced hardships, death threats, prison, exposure, danger, nakedness, hunger, and thirst, and was shipwrecked, snake bit, whipped, beat, stoned, and left for dead, but didn't give up, and instead said, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, and in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Don't you want to be confident and bold like that, Dakota? Yes. Josh. Where's Josh? Big, strong, manly Josh. Josh, don't you want to be confident and bold like Peter and the apostles, who refused to back down and look straight into the eyes of the authorities that had the power to kill them, and said, we must obey God rather than man? 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Don't you want to have that kind of confidence and boldness, Josh? Yes. Don't the rest of you guys want to have that kind of boldness? Yeah. Right? <clears throat> to be able to look right in the face of people that might oppose you and say, back down and don't speak about Christ any longer. And to be able to look them in the face and say, we're obeying God, not you. And by the way, you're the one that killed him. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty blunt. Saying that to somebody that had the power to kill them also. Right? But they did it confidently and boldly. Now, if you said, yes, you want to be confident and bold like that, I want to encourage you, you already are. <laughs> okay? This is not something that you need to gin up. The problem is, is we need to get to the bottom of what stops us from living that way. Does that make sense? It's going to get a lot clearer here as we go further. So confidence comes first. You can't be bold without confidence. So I kind of wanted to hit the issue of confidence for a minute. And last night, Kyle talked about the fear of God. That is, from Scripture, the source of confidence. Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. See, if, if my perspective of God is right, and my perspective of my relationship with God is right, that's going to produce confidence that nobody can take away. Isn't that right? Who can take away my confidence? Who is against me? Look who my God is. I'm living in relation to Him based on what He's done at the cross, based on His blessing today as His Son, knowing His holiness and His righteousness and living in accordance with that. Who can take away my confidence? See, my confidence comes out of a correct perspective of God. My confidence is not based in myself. Uh, Dylan, where's Dylan? He's not Ooh. Okay, well, Dylan, uh, wherever you are, okay, Mike, I'll, I'll say Mike. Mike, Philippians 3.3 3 says, don't put any confidence in the flesh. You can't look at yourself and say, this is what I'm confident about, right? You, that's not where our confidence comes from. It only comes from Him. He is the source of our confidence. Now turn with me uh, to this passage. It's Jeremiah 17, 7-9. And this talks a lot about where our confidence has to come from. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 9. I wanted to start with verse 9, and then we're going to read verses 7 through 8. Because verse 9 kind of tells us a little bit about where we often find our confidence, okay? And it's not the right place. You guys all there? I'm going to read it. Read along with me. Verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? My confidence cannot come from my own internal feelings or thinking or anything like that. Because those are always going to be shaky and unpredictable. Right? But go back to verse 7, and I'm going to find out where my confidence has to come from. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. Isn't that who you want to be? Right? Well, that person finds his confidence in the Lord. He finds his trust in the Lord, not in his own internal feelings about what might or might not happen, because that's always shaking. 
It's in the Lord alone. 2 Corinthians 3, 4-5 through 5, Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence from, comes from God. So again, the story is I'm not putting my confidence in myself or in my flesh or in my heart or in my thinking. I'm putting my confidence only in God because all my competence comes from Him anyway. Right? So He is the source of my confidence. And further on that, guys, uh, we need to have our strong foundation, our confidence, based in His Word. In Him and through faith in Him. Going back to what Gordy talked about today, our faith in Him being based in His Word, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So the, the idea is, is, if I don't have a secure foundation, I cannot be confident. Isn't that true? Just look at your life. Without security, there's no confidence. With security, there's complete confidence. When I go to this firm anchor for my soul, God's Word, the hope that I have in Christ, I can have confidence that nobody else can take away from me. But until I start to ground my life in His Word, there's never going to be confidence. It will never exist. Until I know the truth and live by the truth, there will never be confidence. I would encourage you guys to watch this Truth uh, Project DVD this afternoon. Okay, But until we get to that point of living in the truth, there's never going to be confidence no matter how much I seek it. I have to find my confidence in Him and in His unchanging Word. And then I can't be neglectful of my confidence. I can't just assume that, oh yeah, I'm a man and I love God, so of course I'll be confident. Hebrews 10, 35-36 says, Do not throw away your confidence, guys. Don't throw it away. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Again, it's talking about what Gordy did today. We're getting thrust into this cycle of growth, this cycle of strengthening. And in that cycle, I need to persevere. And I need to walk by faith. And I need to put into action what God is calling me to do. Right? And out of that, when I come out on the other side, I will not lose my confidence, but my confidence will actually be strengthened. So we get in this perspective that my confidence comes from God. So out of God and His Word comes confidence. Out of confidence comes boldness. You can't be bold without confidence, right? If you're insecure, you will not be bold. But if you're confident, you'll be very bold. So if, if my confidence is coming out of God and His Word, then the result of that applied will be boldness, right? Working its way out in every aspect of my life. Now, the dictionary definition for boldness is courageous and daring and not hesitating or fearful in the face of actual or possible danger or rebuff. It's standing your ground even when there's opposition. A great example of that is 1 Corinthians 16, 8, where Paul talks about going to Ephesus, saying, a great door for effective ministry has opened me there, but there's much opposition. Okay, So he didn't look at the opposition and say, I'm backing down. He looked at the opposition and said, that's an open door. Right? I'm going to stand boldly and confidently in the face of opposition. So going to that definition again, I want you to get this. Courageous and daring and not hesitating or fearful in the face of actual or possible danger or rebuff. The New Testament word typically used for boldness is the hardest Greek word I've ever tried to pronounce. So bear with me here. It is parhreziadzomahi. Okay? Parhreziadzomahi. 
Did I get that anywhere near right? <laughs> Doug or one of you guys can can uh, would probably know that the right the right um the right place we want to be going with that word. But literally, the biblical definition from the Greek means confidence, boldness, and assurance in speaking freely. Don't you want to be able to speak freely with complete confidence and assurance, not doubting yourself? Well, again, there's a whole lot to doubt about you. There's not a whole lot to doubt about God. If my confidence is strong in Him, then my boldness will be strong also. As I speak and say and do and stand for what God has called me to. Right? So, I want to encourage you guys, and we mentioned this a minute ago, boldness is key for integrity in the body of Christ. If you think things are bad now, how many of you look around Christianity and think, wow, things are pretty off track right now? I think that. Now, not to belittle any of you next generation college students or younger, because you guys are my pride, my joy, my passion and and love. (laughs) We love you guys a ton. But this next generation has a lot less of a foundation in God's Word than your generation. And if your generation was able to get where it is today with a fairly strong background in God's Word, you have no clue what's coming 30 years from now. Okay? Now, now is the time, though, for you to take a stand while you still can for what's true and what's right, so that next generation can have confidence and boldness in proclaiming the truth. Does that make sense? We have a lot of responsibility today to take hard stands that society is saying, don't take. You need to back down. Christians shouldn't say that. Now, I I won't be political in this talk at all, but I've been told a lot, if you're a Christian, you can't be political. And my answer is always, who else in our society would you tell not to be political? No one, right? Nobody would say that. What I want to encourage you guys, politics are not the answer. Like like, um, Kyle mentioned last night, politics are not our answer. But whatever domain you find yourself needing to take a stand in, take that stand for God. Because right now is the time that you can do that. And 30 years from now, things are going to be a lot worse than they are today if we don't start taking a stand. So boldness is key for integrity in the body of Christ. Titus 1.13 says to rebuke sharply. Uh, A chapter later in 2.15, he says to rebuke with all authority, but also encouraging. As we walk in boldness, we're going to need to rebuke sharply and with authority, bringing back to God's word. Daniel and I were talking in the car last night about some some fringe aspects of Christianity. And Daniel challenged some of these people, even though he felt a little awkward, with the truth. And I said, Daniel, way to go. That might be the first time they've been challenged with Scripture. Okay? Those stands, they might feel sharp. They might feel like you're overstepping your bounds with authority. But if you don't do that, and do it in an encouraging way too, it's not going to get done. We need to take those stands. It's key for the integrity in the body of Christ. And also, guys, boldness is key for the Great Commission, winning every tongue, tribe, and nation to Jesus Christ. We have the first realistic opportunity in history to see that accomplished in our lifetimes. Okay? We have the first realistic opportunity in history to see the Great Commission accomplished in our lifetimes. But we need to make the most of it. Acts 9, 28, 13:46, 14:3, 19:8, 28:31 each describe bold evangelism. In fact, when you look at boldness in the New Testament, it's always, always, almost always, 
tied to sharing God's word boldly. And Paul describes that in Ephesians 6, 19 through 20 this way. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's the goal, to be able to proclaim the gospel fearlessly and boldly like we should. If we're not taking those bold stands, it's not going to happen. And society is going to come at you with a lot of lies. You shouldn't talk about religion in the workplace. Well, for one, you're not talking about religion. You're talking about a Savior. Yeah. Right? And right. two, I'll mention it in a minute, we are supposed to obey God rather than men. Right. right? Talk about your Savior. Be bold in your speech towards those that need to hear the gospel. So boldness is key. The new person you are in Christ is already bold because of the very bold Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit does not struggle with boldness. He is not sitting in you, Mark, going, I'm so timid today. (laughs) I just hope I can get through the day. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. right? The natural Peter was a coward who denied Christ. Look at John 18. right? The Holy Spirit empowered Peter, walked by faith as a fearless witness for Jesus. Look at Acts 2. right? He was walking in the boldness that was not his own, but that was totally sufficient in the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer, right? But see, I can choose to walk in my flesh or in the Spirit. And if I walk in the flesh, I'm not going to have confidence or boldness. But if I walk in the Spirit, it will be impossible not to be bold, right? Without hindering and stifling what he desires to do. The old Peña. Where is Alex? Mi hermano. Mi hermano Peña. The old Peña is a weakling and a coward. But the new Benya, <laughs> I love seeing your name like that. The new Benya in Christ is fearless, right? The new Benya is confident. The new Benya is bold in Jesus Christ, right? Because of the Holy Spirit in him. It isn't that you need to become bold. The Holy Spirit has that covered. I often tell the students, you guys always laugh, and now you say it too. But I'll, I'll always say, gosh, you know, you need to do this in this Bible study tonight. And then I'll say, but I really doubt you have what it takes but the Holy Spirit in you has it covered. <laughs> okay? And it's the same with boldness, right? You don't have what it takes, I promise you, to take the stands that God's called you to take. But He has it covered, and we can rely by faith on Him. No one is naturally confident and bold, but every Christian is indwelt by the very bold Holy Spirit. And He desires, again, to fearlessly share the good news through you, to fearlessly encourage the body of Christ through you. Brandon, you simply need to walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit and allow Him to eliminate the fear, insecurities, and sin, especially secret sin, that kill confidence and boldness and emasculate the man of God that God made you to be. You get that? Right? Those things, fear, insecurities, sin, they emasculate the, the man that God made us to be. They destroy the confident and bold man that God made you to be. So part one, walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.31 says that the believers were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This was the direct result. Leroy, you can't do this on your own. You simply need to depend on him. Where's Leroy? He's right there. Yeah. You have to depend on him. David says in Psalm 138.3, When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. Your Savior is ready to make you bold and stout-hearted when you will call on him and then walk by faith, trusting that he answered you. Right? Ask him to fill you and, and control you with his spirit and then trust by faith that he will and step out believing he will. 
take that step of obedience in the cycle that Gordy talked about, saying, doing, and being, and standing for what he calls you to, right? When you walk by faith, you simply do your part, trusting him to do his. It's that simple. It's really just saying, God, I'm taking the step. I can't see the answer. I'm taking the step. You better show up. You have to show up. This is your issue, not mine. Uh, Again, you need to have good boundaries with God. We talked about this at our discussion group on Thursday, right? So just trust Him to do His part and let Him show up. Okay, that's part one, walking by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Part two is eliminating the sin that eliminates boldness, right? If boldness and confidence are the natural condition for every Christian that's a new creation in Christ with the Spirit of God in them, then I have to eliminate what eliminates those things, those characteristics of Him and me. Proverbs 21.29 says a wicked man, or you could say a sinful man, puts up a bold front. Okay, So a lot of times in our sin, we're tempted to put up a bold front and pretend like everything's okay. And I'm this strong Christian guy, and I'm going to put up a bold front. Proverbs 28.1 continues talking about a wicked man, though, and it says that he flees, though no one pursues. That's where most of Christian men are today. We're putting up a bold front, living with secret sin, and fleeing, though no one pursues. We're so scared of things that aren't even a danger to us, right? We're running and cowering from things that have no power over us, and we're, we're, we're petrified by what can't harm us. Now, the result, though, is, check this out, or not the result, uh, the next step is really cool. It says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Right? So Christ-likeness causes you to be as bold as lion, because that's the natural man without these hindrances. Does that make sense? So if I'm walking in sin, and we're going to talk about this sin cycle in a minute, we're talking about a lot of cycles today, but if I'm walking in sin, it is destroying my boldness and confidence. If I'm walking in fear, it's destroying my boldness and confidence. If I'm walking in insecurities, and all you men have them, then it's destroying your, your boldness and your confidence, Right? And I need to eliminate those things to let God work through me. And by the way, fear and insecurities are sin, so it really boils down to sin. And insecurity isn't just a weakness, it's a, it's a choice not to believe who God says He is in me, right? And so it's just as much a sin as porn or anything else, alright? So sin causes us to put up a bold front while fearing and fleeing imaginary enemies, but integrity and righteousness will cause you to stand as bold as a lion, Right in Christ, your Savior. So sin, especially secret sin. I want to. Hit, I want to actually mention the word porn here because that's one that afflicts probably eighty to ninety percent of men, Christian men, I should say. Okay, uh, that will destroy confidence and it will result in cowardice. Right, men will flee though no one pursues because they have this secret hidden thing that is destroying their confidence and boldness. If porn is an issue to you, this is just a side note. Talk to one of us this weekend. Get on Covenant Eyes. Get accountability with another man. James 5.16, we'll mention it again later. It says that if we confess our sins to each other, we'll be healed. 1 John 1.9, if I confess my sins to God, I'll be forgiven. But if I confess them to Jackson, I'm going to be healed. Does that make sense? Because once it's in, in the light, 1 John 1.5, what precedes 1.9, I have fellowship with my brother. Right? 5 through 9, I should say, the whole passage there. The deal, guys, is if you're struggling with porn, you need to stand with another man that will help you through this, who's also not going to betray your trust. Somebody that's going to keep it confidential and appropriate at the right level at the right time and all that. So I just wanted to mention that one issue as I talked about sin, and especially secret sin, robbing our confidence and boldness and resulting in cowardice. Integrity on the flip side of this 
produces confidence and boldness, guys, in each one of us. So once again, just like the Holy Spirit in you is very bold, this is His job again, right? To help you walk the life that God has called you to walk. John 16, 8 says that He's going to convict you of sin. So the second I sin... The Holy Spirit alarm goes off, and I realize it's sin. I need to confess it to God. I need to be accountable to my brothers. And then, you guys, the second part of that equation, though, also the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 27 says that He will empower us to say no to sin. Isn't that good? Right? So, really, I have to start walking by faith, trusting Him to do this in me. I can't do it on my own. You also have a role in this, though. So, this isn't... Your job, but you do have a role of participating in this job that he has to do. So remember the sin cycle. I, I'm sure most of you have heard this before. It's in James 1 14 through 15. <clears throat> and then the Holy Spirit's role of conviction, John 16 8. Here's the cycle. In James 1 14 through 15, it says, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. Right? And then it goes into sin in, uh, in verse 15. So what's the, what's the progression here? Where does sin start? Wrong desires. It doesn't start with temptation. It starts with desires. See, my temptation can only... I can only be tempted by something that I desire. Does that make sense? Right? So temptation doesn't just hit you out of the blue, and then you just fight like mad and hope you don't die. Right? It starts with our desires. Now, if I want to quit sinning, I need to change my desires. I don't need to just fight temptation, but I need to change my desires. Psalm 37 4, this is just a side note again, says delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. So if you really want to quit sinning, you really need to start delighting yourself in the Lord, pushing into the Lord, going deep with God in such a way that He changes the inside and makes it so that temptation doesn't have a whole lot to work with. Once God's changed my heart, temptation isn't appealing anymore. Because he's appealing, right? Okay, so that's the sin cycle. Desire, temptation, sin, the Holy Spirit convicts me. Alright? Now that always culminates in one of two different ways. We can either run away from God at that point of conviction, or we can run to God at that point of conviction. Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, 6-12, through 12, what happened? They desired the fruit. Eve desired the fruit. She saw that it was good. Uh, she, she saw that she would, be, she would gain knowledge from this fruit. She desired it. Then she was tempted to sin against God by Satan. She sinned, and then she felt this conviction, right? As did Adam, who was right there all along and sinned with her. And after that conviction, they ran from God, right? There's the cycle. Desire, temptation, sin, conviction, bolt. I run from God. Now, what was the result of that? Rationalizing and believing a lie, which is the same for each one of us. Does that make sense? If, I'm, if I desire, face temptation, sin, feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and then run from God, I start to rationalize in my head, and I start to say, it really wasn't that bad. Sin isn't really sin. You know, I start to come up with rationalizations, then I begin to believe a lie, which Romans 1.28 Paul says, God allows me to do. He gives me over to it. If you're going to be stuck there, well then, hit rock bottom and then come back, right? Hit rock bottom and see that this lie is a lie. See it for what it really is, right? That's the cycle that happens when I get to that point of conviction and run away from God and I rationalize my sin and I believe a lie. And then God says, okay, go ahead and believe it. The other option, though, is I can run to God. 
desire, temptation, sin, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I run to my Savior yet again, even though He's forgiven me for the same thing a million times. 1 John 1.9, I confess my sin to Him. He cleanses me. I can walk in light. I can walk in fellowship with Him and other believers. Remember, in the first one, we got isolated. The result was bondage and isolation. In the second step, the result of running to God is fellowship with Him and others. Isn't that good? It's fellowship with Him and others. The results of that are fellowship with God. You can look at... Uh, are, the results of that are freedom. John 8.32 right? talks about the truth setting us free, whereas the lie kept me in bondage. Does that make sense, guys? I want you to get this sin cycle because if we can get a handle on this, then we can walk in the confidence and boldness that we're already called to walk in. See, when that sin happens, because it's not a matter of if but when, it will naturally steal your confidence and boldness. And the quicker you can run to your Savior after that sin, the quicker you can begin walking in confidence and boldness again. Again, guys, stay accountable. James 5.16 Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Is that true? I, I can't stand alone. I need my brothers to stand with me. Okay, so I'm confident that you are all far along your way towards uh, confidence and boldness. I I know that all you men love God. I know you're seeking Him. And I know that many of you are walking very confident and bold lives. And those of you that aren't yet are real close to being there. I I am positive. And I want to encourage you to do this with a lot of wisdom. Because confidence and boldness can come across the wrong way if I'm not exercising them with a lot of wisdom. Uh, I need not be ignorant. Okay? Proverbs 19.2 says, It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. I can become overzealous without a grounding in God's word again, and I might have what seems to be confidence, but in reality it's ignorance. I've been there, and I'm sure some of you have. I want to share a funny example with you guys about uh, me being very zealous without knowledge. About 1993, I would have been 14, I guess, about to turn 15 that year, and I, I... Growing up, I had this thing of wanting to argue with every Jehovah's Witness I saw. Okay? And I think it went back... My, I grew up a missionary kid, so we'd been in Guatemala before this time. At this point, we were in Romania, uh, where this story will pick up in a minute. But prior to that, in Antigua, Guatemala, some Jehovah's Witness missionaries, I remember, reached out to me as a kid. We were just in the square there in Antigua, and they tried to share with me. They tried to evangelize me. And I think at that age in life, I was kind of discovering my own boundaries. So I was, I was kind of contrary to my parents just for the fun of it. I remember the 1987 World Series, which now I lament. Yeah. But being a diehard Cardinal fan, those evil Minnesota Twins. Any of you Twins hey, fans? Wait for a minute. Not much fun there. Oh, no, Mike. So the Minnesota Twins beat us. And I remember during that World Series, my dad was cheering for the Cardinals, and I was cheering like mad for the twins just because I wanted to kind of like be different than my dad and I was kind of discovering these boundaries natural process of childhood and I was so ignorant of course the Cardinals are God's team and not the twins but anyway (laughs) but anyway I think when when these Jehovah's Witnesses reached out to me in Antigua, Guatemala I think it was that I'm trying to remember this I think that was 1987 because I turned 10 in Colombia, which would have been 88. So this is the same year as that World Series, actually, uh, that we were in Antigua, Guatemala. So I was kind of on this this phase. And, and these Jehovah's Witnesses shared with me, and I really, in, in my mind, was... I didn't 
buy into what they said, but I was sure interested by it. Does that make sense? And I talked to my dad, and my parents never got mad at me for asking questions. And my dad, uh, when I was 10, gave me resources like a ready defense and different resources like that and said, read about it, discover it, dig into it, and see. And I found, yeah, the Jehovah's Witnesses are way off track. But the fact that I had been kind of enticed by this at one point, it made me passionate about proclaiming the truth to people that were deep in this, right? So I got super zealous without knowledge. I would literally get off a bus in the middle of town and run to go start an argument if I saw a Jehovah's Witness witnessing to somebody. I still have my Bible that I had at that age, and I have three or four pages in the back with tiny little writing with every verse about the deity of Christ and every verse that the Jehovah's Witnesses have changed and every verse about the deity of the Holy Spirit, and I'd go and just start blasting them. So... In one of these conversations, I discovered they're going to have this national conference where they celebrate communion. Okay? There are going to be like 2,000 Jehovah's Witnesses there. So I tell Adi and Vio Mustiatza, our two, our two translators, uh, they not, no, 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 it was Danny and Vio Mustiatza. Adi didn't come with us. The third brother didn't come with us. And I, I said, we're going to go to this conference and we're going to share with these Jehovah's Witnesses. There are going to be like 2,000. This is in Brasho, Romania. So we show up at this conference. And they're passing the communion around the whole audience. But nobody will take the communion unless they know they're one of the 144,000 that are saved. None of them know that, so none of them take that. They just pass it around. It's uh, just a ritual to them. They don't participate in communion. I tell Danny and Vio, the second it gets to us, we are taking communion. Because we know we're saved. So, so, so it gets to us. I'm 13. These guys are about my age. And we're there with 1,000 or 2,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. It gets to us, and we take it. And these guys in suits and ties pulled us right out of that room and started yelling at us, how do you, how do you know you're saved? Why are you taking that? And we got to tell them the gospel. We know we're saved because of what Jesus did at the cross. <laughs> right start. Okay. So here's the deal. That was, uh, that was very bold. <laughs> because he can use any of our mistakes. But I want to encourage you to be wise in your boldness and in your confidence so it doesn't come across just as a source of more arguments or, or um, anything like that. So be bold for the right thing, but then do it the right way also in wisdom. Don't be legalistic. Paul tells Philemon in verses 8-9, through nine, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. So in your boldness, you could be tempted to order people around and boss them around, and you might have every scriptural reason in the world to do so. And God is saying, but do it in love. Do it in love and draw them into it the right way. Don't be proud. Second Peter 2.10 says that sinful people are bold and arrogant. And I want to encourage you, don't be bold and arrogant, right? Because the two can go hand in hand. Uh, we should be confident yet not arrogant. Our confidence isn't in ourself. That produces arrogance. Our confidence is in Him. That should produce humility, as I do not think more highly of myself than I ought, which you quoted last night from Romans 12.3. Uh, you guys, I should not be harsh. Being confident and bold, I could be very harsh with people. And this scares me. I often hear from Christian uh, brothers and sisters that I know of times that they met famous Christian leaders or, or musicians, and they say, I can't believe how harsh and mean that guy was. Right? And it's guys that we listen to on our iPod and love, and I don't even want to repeat their names because I don't want to think badly of them, but you know, I know that um, I was talking to Wayne, who all you guys know, and he, he always works night vision, and he says, gosh, last year I got to meet some of these guys, and I was so excited to meet them, and they were jerks. Like, they just weren't kind to me. You know, Well, that might be a product of natural human 
arrogance more than godly confidence, right? And I can't condemn those guys either because being in their situation, I have no idea the temptation towards arrogance that they have to face every day. And I'm sure that many of them constantly have to give that to God, right? And I know of many that are extremely humble as well. But guys, don't be harsh in your confidence and boldness. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Right? So the point is not to turn up anger or to stir up anger with my harsh words based in confidence and boldness, but rather to speak gently and to turn away wrath. Okay, you should be bold and wise and discerning and humble and meek and gentle. We need to be bold and confident in all those different ways. So I'm kind of getting towards the end, and I wanted to to mention 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Right? So, here's, here's my challenge, guys. Not walking in confidence and boldness equals not being who God made you to be, which is not taking the stands He calls you to take, and not saying what He's called you to say, and not doing what He's called you to do. That equals the same thing that we mentioned about Peter before, which is denying Christ. When I don't walk in the confidence and boldness that He's called me to, I either passively or actively deny Christ. When I shrink back from an opportunity to boldly proclaim His Word to somebody at work or somebody in my family because I'm not walking in the confidence and boldness of the Holy Spirit, I'm choosing to deny Him, either passively or actively. Just like with Peter, I deny Christ when I choose not to walk in confidence and boldness. So the issue here isn't just... It's, it's, this isn't self-help. You just really should be more confident and bold. The issue here is, if I'm not being more confident and bold, I'm denying Christ to a world that desperately needs Him. Right? I'm not saying that this is an act of desire, but it's a passive reality, if that makes sense. When I walk in boldness, I actually am being who God made me to be, and I'm taking the stands He's called me to take, and I'm saying what He's called me to say, and I'm doing what He's called me to do, and the result of that is like Peter on the day of Pentecost, boldly sharing his faith, and not denying Christ, willing to take a stand for what's true. And the result of that was revival, people's hearts being turned back to God on that day, the first converts in Asia came to Christ. If you look at the end of Romans, one of those, the first convert in Asia, was one of the first leaders of the church in Rome. So what happened that day didn't end there. It spread all over the known world, even to the center of the entire known world, Rome. I want to encourage you guys that as I choose not to deny Christ, as I choose to walk in the confidence and boldness that are the reality for every new creation in Christ, then I will be taking stands and saying things and doing things that will result in God doing even greater things than I can imagine or expect. Ephesians 3.20, right? But I need to start taking those stands to get there. I cannot back down. And so many of us men, we back down right at the point where we, we need to take the step forward. And not going too far from there, Gordy mentioned it earlier, we took a couple bold stands on campus this semester that weren't extremely popular, right? At least not with some of the liberal element of the campus um, demographic. They're real popular with Christian people that prayed for us. You know, got more supporting emails than I've ever gotten in my life and phone calls. But it was it was a hard time. Remember one day, Malcolm, I was I was uh, I was shook up bad from some of the messages I'd received and things like that. And Malcolm and I met off campus. And it was my first day to go back to campus. 
And I told Malcolm, I need you to walk onto that campus with me, Malcolm. <laughs> like, I need you to stand right next to me to support me in this as I take that step. And God was so faithful. And thank you for that accountability. I want to encourage you guys, when you need to take that step, do it with other men. Don't do it alone. Do it with your wife, right, guys? Do it with God Himself and the Holy Spirit in you. But take those stands. Don't back down when it's hard. You need a step forward. Russ always tells me, it seems like every so often we find ourselves in these uh, high opposition situations. And Russ always encourages me and says, Nate, as long as, as long as the opposition isn't because of sin in your life, and rather it's because of a stand that you're taking, then you should be joyful in God that you're facing that opposition. He goes, if it's based on some sin in your life, then you need to really get this right with God, right? But uh, rest is always an encouragement. So walking in boldness will not be popular. I want to promise you that. Doug, you know this, you're a pastor. Jesus promised the world, uh, he promised that the world would hate you because of him. In John 15, 8 through 9, or 18 through 19. In Mark, where's Mark Hole? Right there. Mark, 2 Timothy 3.12 promises that everyone, including Mark, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So when you walk in confidence and boldness, you will be persecuted, and the world will hate you, and you need to be okay with that. We need to realize that I'm not in this for what they think about me. I'm in this for what he thinks about me, Right? Remember Matthew 5, 10-12, straight from Jesus' mouth, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So remember, boldness is being courageous, daring, and not hesitating or fearful in the face of actual or possible danger or rebuff that definition. So it's facing that opposition and saying, I'm not backing down. I'm going forward. Like it or not, I'm taking this step with my Savior. And I'm going to talk about Him, even if it's not popular. Right? I'm going to be His mouthpiece. I'm going to be His hands, even in the middle of a world that hates His guts. Being popular is okay. Our goal is to please God, not men. I want to encourage you not to be like the Pharisees in John 12:43, who sought the praise of man rather than the praise of God. I need to get to a point where I seek God's praise alone, where I seek His affirmation alone and not the affirmation of those around me. Every stand we take, everything we do, every word we speak should be done boldly for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 It all has to be for His glory. So my hope is that you'll leave this place as bold as lions. Right? A lot of times when I pray for you guys, the college guys over here, I catch myself praying this for each of you probably three or four times a week. I'll be sitting there praying, God, make Jack as bold as a lion today. God, make Brandon as bold as a lion today. God, make Malcolm as bold as a lion today. God, make Jake as bold as a lion today. God, make Alex as bold as a lion. Gosh, put something in his head to say in class today that he'll be scared to say, but he'll take the step in in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That's my desire for all of you guys here today, is that you would leave this place as bold as lions, that nothing that, that Satan or this world could throw against you would stop you from being who he's called you to be. Don't deny Christ by refusing to live the bold life that he's called you to, but be resolute and unwavering in being the bold person he has already made you to be in Christ as a new creation by faith and in the power of his Holy Spirit. Right? Step out in what he's already done. So I just want to close, guys, 
with this beautiful verse one more time. Proverbs 28.1 The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Be bold as lions, guys, and win this world for Jesus Christ.